In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Through the grace of God, we will study today chapter 3 from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Many people attacked and questioned the apostleship of St. Paul because he was not one of the twelve. And most of those who attacked the apostleship of St. Paul were teachers from Jewish background. And actually, they were teaching that you need to keep the law in order to be saved. And actually, they were teaching that salvation is through the law. Definitely, as the Lord Jesus Christ said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But we need to understand that the law in itself cannot save you. Otherwise, the Lord Jesus Christ died for no reason. If there is salvation by the law, then there was no need for the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection, he gave us the grace of the Holy Spirit. And now by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we can keep the law. We can keep the commandments. We can fulfill the law. Not by ourselves, but through the grace of the Holy Spirit. But those teachers from Jewish background, and we call them the Judaizers. We call them Judaizers because they want to bring the people back to believe that salvation is through the law. St. Paul attacked the Judaizers and attacked their teaching because he was teaching that salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, there is no salvation. That's why there was a conflict. St. Paul attacked the Judaizers because of their wrong teaching. So the Judaizers start to attack St. Paul and cast doubt on his apostleship that he is not an apostle because he was not one of the twelve. And in chapter 2, St. Paul starts to defend his ministry. And one of the things they were questioning they were questioning whether St. Paul is sufficient for this ministry or not. Whether he is sufficient to be an apostle or not. And in chapter 2, St. Paul said, Who is sufficient for such ministry? Who can claim that he is sufficient to serve the Lord and to preach the gospel of freedom and the gospel of salvation? 
So St. Paul in chapter 2 mentioned clearly that nobody is sufficient for this calling to be an apostle. So in, in chapter 3, St. Paul continued to defend his apostleship. And he started by asking them, do, we, do I need a letter of recommendation to you? Do I need a letter for, for, of, of recommendation from you to defend my apostleship? Then actually he said, if I need a letter, you are my letter. Because my ministry is written in you, so you are my letter. Read by all people. And he answered the question about sufficiency. He told them, yes, nobody is sufficient for such a service. But thanks be to God, who made us sufficient as ministers of new covenant. So if I claim that I am sufficient, this sufficiency is not from me, but it is from God who qualified us to be ministers and servants of the new covenant. And then he started to compare between the new covenant and the old covenant. The old covenant, which was based on law, do this and you shall live. And nobody was able to be saved through the law. But the new covenant is based on the grace of God which empowers me to fulfill the law. So yes, I will do the work, but, but not by my own power, not by my own human effort, but by the grace of God. Keeping in mind the grace is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That is the grace of God. So, St. Paul in the rest of chapter compared between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Let's start reading verse by verse and understand the chapter. Verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letter of commendation from you? St. Paul want to tell them, do I need to boast and praise myself and praise my service among you in order to believe that yes, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I need to have letter of recommendation from the church in Jerusalem? And actually, this was a custom to send a letter of recommendation from the Church of Jerusalem. Like after the first council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter uh, 15, when they sent Paul and Barnabas with the resolution of the council, they sent with them letter of recommendation. So St. Paul is telling them, after I preach Christ to you, after I established the church in Corinth, 
after many of you believed in Christ, do until now, I still need a letter of recommendation to you or from you? Then actually, he answered this question in verse 2. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He said, the letter which recommend me is you, because you are my work in Christ. The church at Corinth ought its existence to St. Paul, as if St. Paul is saying, the fact that there is a church at Corinth testify that I am an apostle to the Lord Jesus Christ, established and founded this church. So, his work, his ministry at Corinth is letter of uh, recommendation. Written in our hearts, when actually he looked into his heart, he saw all his children at Corinth written in his heart. And now he is wondering, you are written in my heart. You are my fruit in, in Jesus Christ. But you still want a letter of recommendation to you to tell you that I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are written in my heart and also known and read by all men, everybody, the church in Jerusalem, everybody knows very well that it is me who established the church at Corinth, and you are my fruit, the fruit of my ministry there. But lest somebody misunderstand the word, you are our epistle, as if St. Paul is the one who wrote the epistle, so he clarified this in verse 3. He said, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. So, who wrote the epistle? Who is the real founder of the church? Is Christ. Because the church is built on the foundation of Christ. He is the cornerstone. But what is the role of St. Paul? St. Paul was like the writer or the pen in the hand of God. But God is the author, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he told them, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us. Ministered by us. So I am St. Paul like a pen in the hand of God, or a writer, the Lord wrote by me his church at Corinth. That's why he said, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. So, he is comparing here between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was written by ink, by engraving onto tablets of stone, but with the Spirit of God. 
and the tablets here are the hearts of the people. So the Holy Spirit used St. Paul to write the law of God, to write the covenant on the heart of the people. In the Old Testament, the commandments were written on tablets of stone. Why? To indicate that the heart of the people are like stones. Their hearts were hardened. In Ezekiel, in the New Covenant, God told us, I will remove the heart of stone and I will give you heart of flesh. That's the work of grace. So the Old Covenant is written on hearts of stone. But the New Covenant, because of the grace of God, because of the Spirit of God, because I told you the grace is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, is written on heart of flesh. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stones, like the Old Covenant, but on tablets of flesh that is on your heart. And here, if you think there is a stone here, and I shoot an arrow toward this stone, what will happen? The arrow will break. But if there is a piece of flesh, and I shoot an arrow toward this piece of flesh, it will pierce the flesh. So in the Old Testament, the people's heart were like stone. And the word of God is like an arrow. So the arrow actually hit the hearts of the people and it was broken. That's why they broke the commandment of God. But in the New Testament, as you read in Acts chapter 2, when they heard, they were pierced into their hearts. Because the Spirit changed the hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, as God promised us in, in, in Ezekiel. So when the Holy Spirit enters the heart, it will pierce the heart and will change the person and transform the person. Verse 4. And we have such a trust through Christ, through Christ toward God. Such confidence. The trust here is referring to, uh, to what he will speak in verse 5. So, as if he is saying, and we have this trust that I will explain in verse 5, through Christ Jesus our Lord toward God. What is this trust? The trust is our sufficiency. So we have this trust that we are sufficient for this ministry, but this trust is through Christ, not through ourselves. And it is toward God in our relationship to God as his ministers, as his servants. So, as if St. Paul is telling them, you are casting doubt whether we are sufficient or not. And I told you in chapter 2, nobody is sufficient. But we have this trust that we are sufficient. Sufficient to serve God, to be ministers of God. But this sufficiency 
is through Christ. Meaning, if Christ did not die on the cross, if Christ did not save us, if Christ did not send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, nobody would be found sufficient. So this sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of God, as he explained in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. St. Paul told them, if you want to evaluate me, I will fail. Nobody actually can claim or say that he is sufficient to serve God, to be a servant. Nobody can say, I am sufficient to be a servant. But if there is sufficiency, this sufficiency is from God. Through Christ Jesus, through his salvation and sending the Holy Spirit. So, not that we are sufficient but by ourselves, so I cannot give any credit to myself to establish the church at Corinth, but my strength is from God. Verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He is saying God enabled us and empowered us to be ministers, to be servants of the new covenant. And the new covenant is, is far excellent than the old covenant. The old covenant was based on the human efforts, but the new covenant based on the grace of God. And here St. Paul actually is comparing himself to the Judaizer. The Judaizers, they want to be servant to the old covenant. They want to bring people back to the law, to salvation through the law, salvation through human effort without Jesus Christ, without the grace of God. But St. Paul is saying, we are servant of the new covenant. The covenant that established on the grace of God, not on the human effort. And the new covenant is the covenant of Christ. And he starts from this verse to compare between the old covenant and the new covenant. He said the old covenant is of the letter, but the new covenant is of the spirit. Meaning what? As I told you, the old covenant there was no grace in it. The Holy Spirit was not working in the life of the people. So we have the letter, we have the words, but there is no spirit accompanying the letter, accompanying the word. And this is a big difference. You know the scripture, now when you read any verse in the scripture, love the Lord your God. When you read, you are not reading letters. But actually the Holy Spirit who inspired these words 
actually is accompanying every letter. And it is the Holy Spirit who pierces your heart. It is the Holy Spirit who enables you to keep the commandment. But in the Old Testament, because salvation was not fulfilled, the Holy Spirit was not working with the people. We received only the Holy Spirit after the salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit exists and works, but not to save the people. That's why the Lord said to the disciples, do not depart from Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the commandment, love the Lord your God, just a letter. And here you have all the burden to keep this command. And nobody was able to keep the commandment. So everybody was under the curse and under the sentence of death. But in the new covenant, the same commandment, love the Lord your God. These words are not, are not just mere letters. The Holy Spirit works through each letter, pierce your heart, enable you, empower you to be able to keep the commandment. That's why St. Paul said, the old covenant is a covenant of letters, but the new covenant is a covenant of spirit. What is the difference? Letter kills. Why letter kills? Because if you don't keep the commandment, you shall surely die. And the letter without the grace, the letter without the spirit, nobody can keep the commandment. There was not even a single person who was able to keep the commandments of the Old Testament without breaking them. Not a single person. That's why letter kills. But the spirit, the spirit who actually works through the letter now and empower me and enables me and give me the grace, that's why now I will be able to keep the commandment. And if I keep the commandment, I will be alive. So the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That is the first difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Old Covenant is letter. New Covenant is spirit, the grace of God. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, ministry of death referring to what? To the Old Covenant. Because all the prophets ministered and served. But what was the end result? The prophet died and went to Hades. And their people also died and went to Hades. Nobody was saved. Can you imagine minister and service, minister and service, minister and service, and at the end everybody goes to Hades. So that's ministry of death. There was no life in it. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, as I told you, the old covenant was given on what? To tablet of stone. To refer that their hearts also were hearts of stone because there was no grace of the Holy Spirit. Was glorious. Now he is saying, if the old covenant, which is ministry of death, which actually was written on stones, 
but this covenant had glory how much excellent the glory of the new covenant that's what he's saying so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away so now St. Paul, the second point he wants to compare between the glory of the old covenant with the glory of the new covenant as if the glory of the old covenant is like glory of moon but the glory of the new covenant is like the glory of the sun so he's saying yes there was glory and he is referring to what's written in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29 when Moses descended from the mountain his face was shining to the extent the people couldn't look at the face of Moses so Moses used actually to put a veil on his face because people couldn't behold his countenance couldn't look at his face so he told them the old covenant which is ministry of death which also was written on stones on stony hearts and also this glory is passing away like you know the, the light of moon once the sun shines this light totally disappears you cannot see it the same way the glory of the old covenant totally disappeared when Christ rose on us with his, uh, with, uh, his glory, with his brightening glory. So, if this old covenant, which is ministry of death, and written on stones, had glory, and this glory was not little, the children of Israel couldn't actually look at the face of Moses. But you should know this glory is what is passing away. It is only temporary. Verse 8 How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The ministry of the Spirit is the ministry of what? Of the new covenant. Because the old covenant is letter, new covenant is the Spirit. So he said, definitely, the glory of the new covenant is more excellent than the glory of the old covenant. But he used the word will in the future. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? He is saying the ministry of the gospel, now it has glory now. But it will have a fuller glory in the second coming of Christ. So the real glory of this ministry of the new covenant will be revealed in the second coming of Christ. Verse 9 For if the ministry of condemnation had glory I want you to keep in mind how he described the old covenant. He described first, letter. Second, ministry of death. Third, written on stones. Fourth, ministry of condemnation. Why? Again, do this and you shall live. But if you don't do it, you will be under the curse. 
you will be condemned. That's why it is ministry of condemnation. Nobody was able to keep it. But in the new covenant, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have the grace of God working in us, we can keep the commandment of God. That's why now we are righteous, because we can keep the commandment of God. That's why he called the ministry of the old covenant the ministry of condemnation. And the ministry of the new covenant, he called it what? Ministry of righteousness. Because now we are righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The child, after we baptize him, we put on him white clothes to say he is righteous through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he is saying, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. As if he is saying to the Corinthians, what's wrong with you? After now, you enjoyed the ministry of righteousness. After you enjoyed the ministry of the Spirit. After God transformed your hearts to be heart of flesh, not heart of stone. After now, you are living by the Spirit, not by the letter. What's wrong with you? What, you want to go back to the old covenant? To salvation by old covenant, by human effort without the grace of God? You actually are going to a lesser glory, not to a higher glory. Because if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The first covenant condemned the people, the second covenant justified the people. Verse 10. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that exceeds. He is saying, even what was made glorious, referring to the old covenant, the old covenant that was made glorious, actually had no glory. In this respect, because of the glory that excels. So he's saying, if you compare the glory of the old covenant with the excellent glory of the new covenant, then actually there is no glory. The glory is like zero. Like the glory of the moon in the light of the sun, as if there is no glory. So he is saying to them, the old covenant is as the glory of the moon and stars, fades away before the glory of the sun. So this glory disappears in comparison of the exceeding glory of the gospel of the new covenant. So he said, even this glory is temporary and totally disappeared after Christ came with grace and truth. Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, passing away is referring again to what? The old covenant. If what is passing away was glorious, what remains? That is the new covenant. Remains forever. Is much more glorious so
here St. Paul actually want to, uh, want to send a message to the Judaizing teachers. And uh, it is clearly asserted here that the Old Covenant, the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, is done away. Nobody is able to be saved by his own works without Christ, without the grace of God. We are not under the law, but under the grace. That's why he said much more that which remains, the new covenant. The new covenant which remains is glorious. If that which was done away is glorious, much more is that uh, the new covenant, its glory will abide forever. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. St. Paul told them, now do you know why I'm attacking the Judaizers? Why I'm speaking with boldness? Why I, I tell you that they are false teachers? Because we have such hope, such confidence that we are ministers of the new covenant whose glory is far and beyond, above and beyond the glory of the old covenant. Seeing that, that we have such hope of the future glory that will be glorified in heaven, we use great boldness of speech. With such a hope, we have boldness to declare the gospel truth boldly and without any reservation. I'm not going to be afraid from the Judaizers because we trust and we have confidence of this glory of the new covenant. That's why I will preach the gospel with all boldness and without any reservation. And here St. Paul made a wonderful comparison uh, about Moses putting the veil on his face while he was speaking to the Israelites. Verse 13, he's saying, we speak with boldness, with open face, not like Moses who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Let me explain here. St. Paul is saying, now we have boldness. The glory is revealed. So we are speaking with open face. But Moses actually was covering his face. Because why he was covering his face? Is it because God want to hide this glory from them? Or because they couldn't look at Moses? Actually, they couldn't look at Moses. So, it is not the intention of God, but their weakness made them cannot look at Moses, but to look at a veil. What he is trying to say here is, if you believe in Christ, then the glory will be revealed to you. And you can see the glory of the new covenant. But if you don't believe in Christ, and you want to abide with the Jewish flow, 
in which salvation based on human efforts on the law with no grace. Then actually, you will be looking through a veil and you cannot see the glory of God. There will be a veil covering your understanding, your mind, your heart. And you cannot see the end of what was passing away. What was passing away is what? Is the old covenant. What is the end of what was passing away? The end means the goal. Actually, the old, the old covenant, its end ended where? In Christ. So let me read this verse to you again. I am preaching with open face, not like Moses, who had a veil on his face. Why? Because the children of Israel could not look and see Christ, who is the end of the old covenant which is passing away. Let me repeat it again. I am preaching Christ with boldness, with open face, not like Moses, because Moses had a veil, but I, I don't have a veil. Why? Moses was preaching to people who did not see Christ, who did not see Christ in the law, in the old covenant. That's why there was veil. But then when Christ came, the veil was torn apart. If you believe in Christ, there will be no veil. But you can see the glory of the new covenant. So the veil Moses put over his face is used by St. Paul here as a symbol to show that all was not made plain in the law of Moses. Nothing was made clearly, you know, in the law of Moses. Even the, the sacrifices, the purification, the circumcision, where Christ is hidden in the old covenant. Christ was not clearly uh, appear uh, or manifest in the old covenant. But there, is, there was a blindness on uh, Israel's eye. The children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of the law. And as explained to you, the end of the law here is Christ. The brightness with which the face of Moses shone was passing away. This glory was passing away. But the end was Christ. Because the whole Mosaic law tended to terminate in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Israelites had only a dim, a very, very weak sight of him, of whom Moses spoke in a very covert manner. So actually, St. Paul here is passing from the literal fact, which is Moses had veil, to its spiritual meaning. So St. Paul is saying, when Moses had veil on his face, there is a spiritual meaning behind it. It's not just his face was shining and people couldn't look at his face. No. Christ was hidden in the Old Covenant. 
there was veil blinding the people because there was no grace in the old covenant. The, the lack of grace in the old covenant was the veil that blinded the people. But now Christ came and gave us his grace. So the veil was taken away and we behold his glory as uh, St. John said in his gospel. We behold his glory because the veil now is taken away. Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. So he is telling them, Christ, through his grace, through the Holy Spirit, he took away the veil. So if you believe in Christ, there is no veil. You can say with John, and we behold his glory. But if you don't believe in Christ, like the Judaizers, and if you want to be saved by the human efforts only without the grace of God, you will be blinded. And even when you read the Old Testament, because the Jews read only the Old Testament, they don't read the New Testament. Even when you read the Old Testament, the veil is unlifted. You read about the sacrifices, but you don't know that these sacrifices are symbol of the cross. You read the prophecy in Isaiah, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. But you don't see that, you know, this prophecy is about Christ. Because the veil remains unlifted. But if you believe in Christ, the veil will be taken away. But if you don't believe in Christ, you will be blind. That's what the Lord said to the scribes of Pharisees. Your problem that you are blind, but you say we see. That's why your sin remains. But if you believe in Christ, he will remove the veil, then actually you will be able to see. For even, verse 15, to this day, when Moses is read, Moses means the law of Moses, the Old Testament, is read, a veil lies on their heart. They read it in their synagogues, but do not understand it. The trouble is in their heart. They are blinded by not accepting the grace of God. They are blinded by not accepting the grace of God. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, when one accepts Christ and believes in Christ, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you turn to God by your heart and by your repentance and you believe in Him as your Lord, God and Savior, the veil of blindness will fall away so that you will see clearly. And actually, we have a nice story here. St. Paul, before his faith, before he believes in Christ, he became blind. But after he was baptized and believed in Christ, scales fell from his eyes. So as if in believing in Christ, and 
when you are baptized, you move from darkness to the light. That's why we call baptism is the mystery or sacrament of enlightenment. Because now the veil is taken away. You can see we behold his glory. He said when you turn to the Lord, he said, what is the Lord? Who is the Lord? The Lord is the Spirit. When you turn actually to the Holy Spirit, the grace of God. Where Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He, he, he told us that the new covenant is a spirit and not letter. The Holy Spirit accompany every letter and give power. So turning to the Lord, meaning to enter into the new covenant, the covenant of spirit, the ministry of righteousness. And where the spirit of the Lord is, do you know where the spirit of the Lord is? In your heart. You are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit abide in you. So, in your heart, there is liberty. When you turn to the Lord, there will be freedom and liberty from the bondage of sin and bondage of Satan in your heart. There is liberty. So, you will not be any more slaves to the letter, but you will be free to serve God in the Spirit and rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. As St. Paul told us, we did not receive the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of sonship. So, here is saying, you will be free to worship Christ. You will be free uh, from the bondage of sin and bondage of Satan. And you will be free also from the fear of death. You will be free from the fear of death because where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty and there is freedom verse 18 the last verse but we all or referring to whom to the christians the believers who were baptized and who received the holy spirit in the sacrament of chrismation we all who received the holy spirit Actually, in the commandment that Abuna says to the parents and godparents after baptism, he says to them, Your children, the day in which they were born, they were slaves, but now they are free. Because where, is this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, the Christians, the believers, those who received the Holy Spirit, with unveiled face, not like the Israelites who are looking through the veil that on the face of Moses, but with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We can behold the glory of the Lord. But we behold it as in a mirror. We behold it, the mirror is the Bible, the mirror is the church, but as I told you, this glory 
we will see it more clearly in the second coming of Christ. But that's why he said, as in a mirror, we behold without veil, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What happened to Moses? Moses, when he beheld the, beheld the glory of God, the face of Moses himself became shining. So he said, the more now you stand before God, the more you look at his glory in the mirror, in the church, in worship, in the Bible, when you read it, what will happen to you? It will happen to you as happened to Moses. Moses, his face became shining. You also will be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And who is doing this? The Spirit of grace, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Maybe somebody will ask, they were looking at a veil and were looking at a mirror. So, we are not seeing the exact glory. So, what's the difference? Definitely big difference if you look at a veil or look at a mirror. For example, if the glory is behind this veil, curtain, and you look through the veil, what are you going to see? There is a veil here. But if there is like you look at screen to see what's going inside the altar. Here you are looking at, at, at a mirror, which is much, much clearer. There is no comparison between looking at a veil and looking at a mirror. But in heaven, we will see him with open face. So he's saying we all Christian with open face, unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the mirror is the gospel, the church of Christ. We behold the glory of the Lord. Looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and beholding at his covenant, the new covenant, and keeping this in our heart and mind and contemplate on this glory, then we will be transformed into the same image. Which image? The image of God will be like him. Christ will be portrayed in us. To look at the Lord has a transforming power. To look at the Lord has a transforming power. If we look at him, we will be like him. Moses, when he stood before the Lord, he shone with glory. In the same way, we will reflect the glory of Christ. That's why he told us, you are the light of the world. Because Christ will be shining through us to the world. From glory to glory, we will actually will be growing from one stage of glory to a higher stage of glory. And this glory is the work of the grace, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So he ended this chapter by uh, making a very beautiful uh, picture here. If we look at the Lord, if we look at the new covenant, if we look at the gospel and the church, we will be like him and we will show forth his glory. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.